Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I am Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion. But we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybatemadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. Delight to be here with Rabbi David A. Ingber, who is the founder and senior rabbi at Romamu NYC, also the founder and dean of Romamu Yeshiva. Rabbi Ingber, thank you for taking time to talk. It's good to see you, Shmuley. Thank you. So, just to start with you and your journey, it's amazing what you've built, and I wonder if you can share a little bit with us about what a step, what inspired you to establish this community. Well, you know, I, I think that the first thing is that I was a spiritual seeker from a very young age, and I think that uh, I never stopped seeking. And I, I was looking for a place that would integrate many of the different elements of my own personal spiritual journey, beginning as a young modern Orthodox kid who then became ultra-Orthodox, as you know, later on in my life, had many years in traditional classical Orthodox yeshivot or seminaries before leaving Judaism entirely for almost a decade or more, actually. And during that time, being exposed to meditation, mindfulness, yoga, various traditions from the East. And when I came back as the seeker that I was, I tried to fit back into my Orthodox milieu, attract, you know, fit back into, into the box that I was born in in a certain way. And, uh, and I didn't quite fit. I was kind of like a, an outside of the box person. And as a kind of spiritual entrepreneur, there was a need that I felt in my own person that was driving me. And I decided to to try to create something for myself and for others like me that might resonate. I didn't know if it would, but uh, thank God, 12 years later, 700 and some odd families later and thousands of, of people who have walked through our doors is certainly something that, that at, in our community in New York City and also in Brooklyn uh, that has uh, resonated for people and touched them. Beautiful, beautiful. So, you know, we often talk, we oftentimes make a dichotomy or, um, or distinction between limud and um, and tefillah. Uh, we think about spirituality on one on one side, and we think about learning on the other side. How do you understand the relationship between our very rich Jewish intellectual tradition and um, and the realm of spiritual practice or consciousness? You know, I think that that bifurcation or that dichotomy um, it certainly exists to some degree within the tradition and within other traditions, the, the path of the mind versus the path of the heart or uh, intellectual rigor, sometimes being juxtaposed with emotional or affective uh, ecstasy or passion. And, you know, for me personally, part of, part of what I was trying to create at Romamu, and I still what drives me is a more integrative approach uh, that is possible to be passionate about the mind and being really rational and really cool about the way that we should be passionate. And I don't see those things in tension necessarily. In fact, I think they inform each other because without a rich intellectual tradition, our meditative practices and our affective, emotional, ecstatic, passionate tefillah experiences can be rooted in a pre-modern or even an irrational uh, relationship with God, with Torah, with religious texts and so on. And without the kind of passion and the kind of devotion, null element, 
right? Our aridity of mind can be really, you know, can be empty. Rev. Cook would write about, uh, you know, the desire within the story of the Akedah, chapter 22 of the book of Genesis, to bring into the Jewish religious tradition the kind of passion and fire that he found in Avodah Zarah and idolatry, but to put it into a container that is kosher, as it were. So I don't see these things as necessarily intention, and, and they need to inform each other. So what that looks like for me is that at Romimu, we are engaged in intellectual pursuits that are rational, and, and our affective or passionate tefillah practice is transrational, meaning we're not expecting people to believe ridiculous things about God and spirit, um, but we're also saying that, that just because you are deeply rigorous in your intellectual approach doesn't mean that you can't open your heart and experience the sense of divine closeness or imminence or the sense of Hashem being with us in every moment that's, uh, uh, you know, cynic, like that is what it is to be betfilah, in a sense of vulnerability and creatureliness vis-a-vis um, God, vis-a-vis spirit. So I, I kind of want my cake and eat it too. I want to be, you know, be able to open up a Gemara. I want to be able to open up uh, the Rambam. I want to be able to open up any one of the texts of our tradition and bring my full intellectual capacities to bear on that. And when I want to daven, I want to daven with all of my heart, with all my body, with all of my soul, with all of my breath. And I want to be in that moment fully engaged in the totality of my being. And I don't want to leave any part of my spiritual shirt untucked, as it were. <laughs> very well said. So the, um, you know, spirituality is a word that's used very loosely um, and commonly, but few, sure. few synagogues or prayer institutions are actually built around spiritual seeking and the like. Yeah. And I wonder, uh, for, I mean, mm. those who don't have access to that, how, how, how might you advise a, at this moment that people um, tap in more deeply? Meaning if you, could, if you could offer one path forward, those who you know, already have had some exposure to Jewish learning, to Jewish practice, but really have never embarked on a spiritual path. You know, at first, I think it, there's so many, you're, you're so right, Rav Shmuley, there's so many different ways to understand the word spirit or spirituality, ruchniot in Hebrew or ruchnius. You know, what are we saying and, and how do we know it? You know, it's hard to, sometimes we know something without naming it and oftentimes we have to name it first before we actually know it. Um, and so I think that nomenclature here is, is very important. And uh, to that extent, I, I, I would like to just offer that spirituality as I, as I want to offer it today to, all, to your listeners who might be listening in the future is an inwardness, a willingness to look at the contents of the heart and the contents of the mind, the feelings that arise within us in a moment to moment or the thoughts that we might have moment to moment and to be able to have some capacity to quiet ourselves, to sit quietly, whether it's for a minute, two minutes, 10 minutes, and to take an inventory, what's called a cheshbon nefesh and you're looking at what your thoughts are, and you're not trying to fix them. You're not trying to say, oh, there's jealousy, you know, why am I jealous? There's despair, why am I despairing? But you're just to be with, this basic quality of being with the pain that we're in or the pain that, we, that might arise in our own hearts and the joy that might arise in our hearts. And that's like, like baseline, you know, interiority or, or an inwardness or an innerness. And then I think from that place, to invite God's presence into that place, um, however, we understand the Rabbanu Sholem, the, the you know, master of the universe, or the still small voice within us, or the the eye within the eye, the Anochi should be Anochi, or whatever we call that, you know, him, her, whatever pronoun, but to call forth 
from that place of inwardness, of knowing your inside, to say, Libi chalal b'kibi, my, my, my entire inwardness is also transparent to you, God. I think that would be, from the Jewish tradition, that would be a combination of meditation or mindfulness coupled with vulnerability and invitation uh, in the name of the Katsker. The Katsker said, God is wherever we would let God in. And so you say, God, please, I have a vacancy here in my heart. It's, you know, I'm aware of my own insides. I'm aware of my thoughts. I'm aware of where I am. And I need you. I don't want to feel alone at this moment. I need your presence with me. And that's a kind of bakasha. It's a kind of request uh, that I think that on some level, you know, God is, when we break our hearts like that, God says, I'd like to sit with you. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So speaking of God sitting with us, um, Many are feeling, I don't have to tell you, uh, you're, you're, you're doing this pastoral work all the time. Many are feeling isolated, alone, um, even much worse. Um, and I wonder how in our social distancing do we remain connected? How do we, whether as a community or beyond? Um, for some, you know, a, f- a phone call or a Zoom chat just isn't enough. They're really struggling. And, you know, do we need to bring Rabboni Sholem closer into our private realm or do we need to maintain these Zoom chats? Like, what are you finding is working for people who are in a low state? You know, it's such a great question. And, and as, a, as somebody, you know, I know y- your heart a little bit. We're not, you know, we haven't spent a ton of time together, but, and I look forward to that in the future. But your whole life has been in service for me. You know, I, I'm so inspired by you and the way that you feel the pain of the world and, and you've given, literally given of yourself and, you've, and you're, everything you do is for the sake of, of reducing pain in the world, I feel. And I think that that's the role of a rabbi or clergy or whatever it is to try to imagine how we might reduce pain of, of our friends and family and our congregants and the people who rely upon us. And I can say that, that there isn't a perfect answer right now. It's certainly the case that people who feel isolated, I, I like to say, you know, we want to move from isolation to weasolation. We want to be with them in that place. And Zoom is, is certainly functioning in that way for many people who've had Zoom calls that are Shiva calls and funerals. And it's obviously not a perfect on any, by any stretch. But on some level, it does give some sense of, of togetherness that is, you know, people are so longing for. I, I think it's also the case now that at this moment, that spiritual dis- that social distancing and, and um, allows us to really deepen uh, a sense of spiritual uh, hospitality. And I, what I mean by that is, is, you know, w- w- there's a way that when somebody zooms in, they're zooming in from their home. When they come to my shul in New York, I don't see their home. You know, whenever people come to shul at Ramamu, we can have 300 people, 400 people in a room on a Friday night, and I don't know where they're coming from. I don't see what's hanging on the wall behind them. I don't see what their living room is like. And in communities, believe it or not, we, we make the hub, the shul. But when, when I'm sitting in, I'm looking at you, and I see the, I see the books on your, ba- on, your, on your wall behind you, and I see that you also have Constantine's sword, and I see the Tanakh, and I see the living quarters. I, th- I see to myself, oh, there's... He hung a picture over there, and this is where he usually works, you know, when he's maybe when he's not in the land of coronavirus, but on a normal, you know, Moti Shabbos or a Sunday, here's, you know, the way that you know, Rabbi Ankalavis is, that's it to me, I look through people to see the context they're in, and that's a really good way to remind me that when this is all over, um, and we're back face to face, that people bring all of the things that we never get a chance to see into their interaction with me, and I try and to, I pray to myself, God, you know, David, when you listen to them in the future, listen to them with that lens and try to bring that out. And I think that, you know, again, that's one of my big takeaways now. And, and one phone call can make a huge difference. I called someone yesterday 
you know, a mother of a congregant who's, who's in a, in, uh, who's in a nursing home and, and just calling her, give a lift to her spirits. And now more than ever, I think it's possible for us to, uh, to remember that even, even one moment of community can dispel a lot of, uh, of isolation. Yeah, amazing. Just one last question for you. Uh, we've been looking at your, your head and heart, and I wonder, what, um, what would Reb Zalman say today? What, what would Reb Zalman uh, in 2020, what, 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 what would you want to express at this moment? <laughs> I'm looking at a picture of him right now, and uh, I talk to him all the time. Yeah. And so all of his students talk to him all the time. He, uh, he's ever-present. And, and the thing about Reb Zalman that I have to be honest with you about is that you never knew what he would say. And that was one of the beautiful things about Reb Zalman is that you thought that he was going to say something and it came out, you know, completely. But I think that probably what my, what, what my Rebbe would say is, is that, um, that our mother, the earth is sick. And yesterday was Earth Day. And our mother, the earth, the Shlina, is saying, Kalani Miroshi. You know, as the Gemara says, the Talmud says that when, what, you know, personifies the divine feminine or the divine presence in the world and says, my head hurts, my arm hurts. That when, you know, when, when humanity is in pain, the Shlina is in pain, the divine presence is in pain. And when our mother, the earth is in pain and we've been ignoring its screams and its cries for so many centuries, it's bound to try to wake us up. And I think that he would say to us, and he used to tell the story all the time that once when he went to wake up his daughter, Shalvi, he woke her up and she said to him, Tate, she said, father, you know, I know that you just woke me up and now I'm awake, but when you're awake, can someone come and wake you up even more? And so Reb Zalman would ask us, in what ways are we now waking up even more? And if we come out of this, not that we got this to wake up, but that we got it, it happened, whatever it is. But the best that we can make out of this is, can we wake up even more? And I want to bless you, my friend, that you continue to wake people up with your Torah and with your social justice and your willingness to, to really walk your talk out in the world. We need, need more rabbis like you and more places like Valley Beit Midrash. Thank you so much, Hevra. Make sure next time you're in New York City, when we can, to ch come daven at Romamu. If you want to come learn, come learn with the Romamu Yeshiva. We'll put more links so you can learn more about these amazing programs. One of the great uh, rabbinic lights of our time, Rabbi David Ingber. Thanks so much.